Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and I've had a pretty eventful week, actually, uh, here in Reykjavik. Um, I had a friend visiting from Japan, a good friend of mine called Tim, um, and we spent a lot of time just going out to grab coffee, going out to see fun things. Um, so it was quite a, an action-packed week. A friend of mine had a concert last night, her last concert. Um, she's going to change her music project, and so went out to see a concert. It's uh, been a week where I got out and about more than usual. We've had some blue skies. We've had some uh, some late summer weather. And so it's been quite nice. It's been quite a nice week. Uh, but I did have plenty of time for gaming, and I've been playing some pretty interesting games. I've been kind of between main games. I'm still polishing off Final Fantasy VII Remake. I've only got two chapters left to go, and I'm fully planning to finish that game. I'm having a good time with it. Um, But I'm not always in the mood for it. It's got that JRPG vibe, and I'm not always in the mood for the, the gameplay, basically. So I've been playing a few other things on the side, and as is the tradition on this show, I'm going to go through those games and give a roundup of all the things I've been playing. Um, they're all new games that have come out recently on Switch or PlayStation or Xbox. So I've just been shopping around a little bit, playing some indie games, playing a little bit of Final Fantasy now and then. Um, the main game that really caught my attention this week, though, was a game that I've seen a lot of. It's always on sale and often for just a few pounds. Um, and I've heard some people talking about it from time to time, but I've never quite taken the plunge um, until I got a recommendation for it. Um, a couple of people recommended it to me. One was a colleague at work um, who is a big fan of uh, Terry Cavanaugh, the producer of this game, the creator of this game, who had brought it up in a conversation about game design as an interesting example. And the other was Jake, aka ChipDip18, on the show's Discord, um, and also one of the hosts of the Pre-Order Bonus podcast, which I recommend that you check out. Um, he recommended it to me in a conversation we were having about Stray. Um, I can't remember how we got onto the topic of this game, but it came up and he, he sold it to me. <laughs> so that game is Dicey Dungeons, um, a deck-building roguelike with game of chance mechanics, with dice, with um, leveling, with different weapons, a combination of cards and dice rolls, really fun combat mechanics. So that's going to be the featured game of this episode. But the other games that I've been checking out, um, first I wanted to give a a little shout out to Ooblets by Glumberland. Um, This is a game that has been doing the rounds for quite a while. You've probably seen it on social media. It's been in early access for two years. Um, And the 1.0 release is coming on September the 1st for Steam, Xbox, and Switch. Um, I got a code for it. It's under embargo until the 1st, so I can't talk about it in any detail. But I have been dipping into it, and it's really fun. It's, It's a cute kind of Stardew Valley meets Pokemon kind of farming game where you you live in a little village, colourful little village, you grow seeds to get crops and to grow ooblets, which are the little Pokemon guys that you have, a little flock, and they kind of follow you around. Um, You get them into dance battles, you level them up, there are quests to do for the villagers, and it's pretty fun. It's very, very charming, and I'm looking forward to playing more of it and talking about it later uh, when that embargo lifts and when I've had time to dig into it more. Um, I also played some more of We Are OFK. I mentioned it last week, um, a visual novel about a band that um, is made up of like a lot of millennial drifters who are friends in the LA game industry. 
and they're all having hard times in life. You spend a lot of time texting, reading texts. Um, it's not very interactive. It's um, an extremely passive visual novel, but very stylish. Um, and I have a place in my heart for visual novels. I have really enjoyed some in the past. Um, but they have to have a, a, a certain level of interaction to keep me going. Um, and I, I've struggled a little bit with We Are OFK, actually. I mean, I think back to the game Coffee Talk, which is maybe my favorite visual novel. And in that game, there are some pretty basic mechanics where you have to make drinks for the clientele of your cafe, and they'll give you requests, and you can try out different recipes. It's all very simple, like you might just mix honey and milk and tea to see if you can make something that will soothe someone, or um, like a triple shot espresso with some spice in it for someone else that wants to pick me up and that kind of thing. And it breaks up the reading um, a little bit and gives you something to do to keep you engaged. Um, there's nothing like that in We Are OFK so far. It's really... Um, I'm not even clicking through text when I'm playing that game. Um, and that's really the only thing that you do in a lot of visual novels. But in We Are OFK, the text just scrolls almost automatically and you chip in every one to two minutes with an A-B answer, um, which doesn't seem to really affect anything in particular. And so, despite the fact that it's very stylish, very nice to look at, um, I haven't really been able to get through the first episode of We Are OFK. It's a five-episode game. Each episode takes about an hour to play. I've sat down to play it a few times and opened the game again um, and just started reading and then I just didn't have it in me to play it and I closed it again. So, so far I am bouncing on We Are OFK. But I've got a feeling it's the kind of game I might come back to sometime if I'm really in the mood for quite a passive, story-led experience. I might come back to it again. I would like to see more of the story. I feel like it hasn't really kicked off yet in the kind of 40 minutes or so of it that I've played. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of waiting for it to kick off and not particularly enjoying the experience of it whilst wanting to know more, more about the story. But if you are a visual novel fan, I would say it's an interesting new example of the genre. Now, one of the more interesting things about it is that the band OFK is actually a real band. I mean, it's a fictional one. Like, all of the all of the, mem the members of this band are fictional on-screen characters, a little bit like gorillas. But there are plans to release OFK's music, so it's one of those projects that seems to exist between uh, video games and pop music. And that, that's kind of interesting. That's maybe the most interesting thing about that one. I've also dipped into a couple games over on Game Pass, as I tend to do. If I'm looking for something to play, I will often just look at what's new, download three games, give them all half an hour. Um, some of them stick, some of them don't. Uh, one of the ones that didn't was a little pixel art Zelda-like called Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Um, it's a comedy game, and you just play a little turnip, and you have to run around this little world. It's a very self-aware game. It makes jokes like, if you pick something up, it says, this is a pickup designed to create a feeling of reward in the player. So it's breaking the, the fourth wall a lot. Um, I didn't find the jokes particularly good, actually. Um, and I find that it was, it was mocking the activity of playing it in a way that didn't sit right with me. Like, I didn't really feel in on the joke. I'm sort of, sort of sitting trying to play this little pixel art game and to have fun. And it's just pointing out how simple its mechanics are. And rather than laughing, I'm like, yeah, yeah, they are. You're right. <laughs> so I didn't really have a lot of fun with that one. I played half an hour of it. Um, 
it's a pretty rudimentary game, but I think it's very short. Um, but I'm not exactly sure what they were going for with this one. Um, maybe it's supposed to be quite arch in that Undertale kind of way, but it's not quite hitting on that level. So I bounced on Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Um, I don't think I'll be finishing that one. Uh, but one game that did stick with me a little bit was a new isometric brawler called Midnight Fight Express. Uh, this one's been in development for a couple of years. It's by a solo developer. I've played uh, two and a half hours of this one. I've been doing a half hour of it um, during my lunch break, like halfway through a work day. Um, I'll just tune out for a little while, um, go and get a cup of tea, play a little bit of Midnight Fight Express. It's it's a pretty simple game. It reminds me a lot of like a cross between Ruiner, which I think is a super underrated isometric brawler set in a cyberpunk world, and My Friend Pedro, My Friend Pedro, which is like the uh, 2.5D John Wick style mass destruction guns and fighting uh, spectacular with a lot of slow motion in it. Um, and this game sits kind of between those two. I don't think it quite hits the heights of either of those two, but if you are a fan of either of those two games, or things like The Ascent maybe, um, you might find something to like here. I mean, it's on Game Pass, and so if you have that service, it's not going to cost you anything, and you could just give it a try. Um, what happens in this one is that the are a series of levels, for example, say you're going through the docks or the train station, you run along and then you'll see a mob of enemies ahead of you. Um, the game will pause. You've got a little drone buddy who talks to you and he's like, hey, look, these guys are like a clown gang and he'll tell you a little fact about them. I find myself clicking through the dialogue a lot. It's very much in the My Friend Pedro style, but it's not as uh, sharp it's not as sharp, the writing and dialogue, as that game. So I ended up just clicking through it and just really playing this one for the combat. Um, but it's really fun. So after you've seen these guys, like you'll, you'll be mobbed by a series of enemies. They have different um, abilities. They can block, they can shoot. And so you have to decide who is the biggest threat, which order you're going to take them out in real time. Um, it's very snappy combat, combo-based. Um, and say you're running through a station, you'll fight three waves of guys on the platform, and then um, that area will unlock, and you can go onto a train, and then you'll fight three waves of guys on the train, and you can kind of throw them out of windows, and you have to watch out for things speeding towards you and that kind of thing. And then you'll leave, and the train level will be complete. So it's like short arena battles with uh, waves of enemies jumping in through windows and stuff. They also come with weapons like swords, knives, wrenches, guns, and you can pick those up and use them. Uh, they are destructible and don't last long, so you're constantly burning through weapons. Um, you can also kick and throw things from the environment, like bins or boxes, to knock down enemies. Um, and you can unlock a lot of moves in this game. So it starts off very simple, but it's as complex as you want it to be. There is uh, quite a large skill tree that allows you to unlock finishing moves. Um, so you'll see like a little... Um, what do you call it, like a prompt appearing on the screen when an enemy is ready to be finished and you'll tap the L1 button and maybe you'll do like a pile driver, like a Bruce Lee style flurry of kicks. Um, you can also grapple, you'll get a prompt for that and you can grapple enemies and pull them around, throw them at other people. There's like a sort of judo style element to it. Um, you can block and counter, break the enemy's stance. You can run and do flying kicks or skid through groups of enemies to knock them all over. There's a lot of crowd control. There's a lot of uh, choosing your moment and trying to um, evade or do combos and that kind of thing. 
Um, it's pretty decent. It's it's decent, mindless brawler fun, like an arcade machine kind of vibe to it. Um, the levels are quite short. Um, I wish they were longer because between every level, you just go back to this quite bland selection screen where you unlock the skill tree, um, put different skins onto your character and that kind of thing. And I found that it broke up the game a little too much. Like, I just wish that... I wanted to play more and spend less time looking at the menu, and it seems that the levels are quite short, so it's a little stop-start, but um, I've played over two hours of it now. I'm halfway through. There are 40 levels. I'm at level 20. I've beaten a couple of bosses, one of whom had a flamethrower, uh, one of whom was like a massive guy, and the bosses are pretty cool. You have to figure out their weaknesses, so it takes a couple times to kill them. If you die mid-run, you just restart the latest encounter that you're in, so it's quite forgiving, and I like that about it. It allows you to just keep trying. It's almost like instant restart pretty much where you died, which I really like, and I think that's a really good idea for this game. Um, if it does end up outdoing my expectations, I might come back and do a full review of this one. Um, but for now, I think I'm just going to run through that one and have it as like a chill, um, you know, short bursts game. Um, I would say that if, if anyone out there has not played Ruiner and likes the sound of this one or plays Midnight Fire Express and enjoys it, please play Ruiner. It's such a good game. It's often on sale for like three or four pounds and it's this kind of this kind of gameplay but taken to another level um, in terms of gameplay and story and uh, audio visually. But that's Midnight Fire Express. It's a, it's a decent little game. But before we move on to talking about Dicey Dungeons, please allow me to mention that this show is patron-supported. Um, there is a patreon.com slash gaminginthewild page where you can sign up for a dollar a month or three or five um, or euros or pounds or whatever your local currency is. For that, you'll get an invite to the show's Discord server. It's a fun little corner of the internet where myself and some of the patrons and friends and listeners of the show just talk about what we're playing, share sale tips, share screenshots and recommendations, talk about the gaming news, that sort of thing. Um, at the moment, there has been a good conversation about Pyre, because that's on sale for PS4, so there was an, a nice long chat about super giant games and um, what was the good and bad things about Pyre, because it's such an interesting game. There's also been a lot of talk about Road 96, there's a few people playing that, and Curse to Golf. Uh, people seem to be enjoying Rollerdrome a lot as well. So if you'd like to come and join us and talk about those games on Discord and whatever you're playing, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. You'll also get some extra episodes and you get to vote on uh, what they will be about and that kind of thing. So it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Thanks very much to all my existing patrons and thanks to you if that's something that you would like to do. Um, also, thank you very much to people that leave ratings for the show on Spotify and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, I do see them coming in and I really appreciate that. It gives me a nice lift. Uh, so thanks to all my patrons and anyone who has reviewed the show. And with that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of this episode, Dicey Dungeons. <laughs> So Dicey Dungeons is a game that came out originally in 2019. It is by Terry Cavanaugh, an Irish game developer of some repute. He has made 53 games on itch, I went and counted them, and he's had three breakout indie hits in VVV, VVV, uh, Super Hexagon, and Dicey Dungeons, all of which were released elsewhere. 
Um, it has really nice bright cartoon artwork by Marlo Dobb and really amazing chiptune music by Chipzel, which you'll be hearing throughout this review. Um, yeah, thanks to Jacob again for recommending this one to me. Um, he's, he sold it to me as a, a deck-building roguelike with uh, dice mechanics that's in the show of a, uh, in the format of a survival game show, um, and that that really caught my attention. And made me go and look it up. Turns out it was on sale on Switch for just two pounds or something like that. So I think I've got a real bargain here. So thanks to Jake for recommending the game. Um, it originally came out on computers, but was ported to Switch in 2020. That's where I played it. It is on Game Pass. It came out on Xbox on 2021, but I wanted it on a handheld. I, th I thought this kind of game is just going to be nice with a touch screen um, and to just play in bed and relax with. So I'm, I'm happy I have it on Switch, but it is on Game Pass. It also got an iOS release this year, so you can also play it on your phone or iPad. I would say that an iPad's probably good. There's a little bit of text and detail in the game that might be a little bit too small on an iPhone, unless they've done some specific porting work to make the UI pop more on a phone. Um, it's pretty popular. It got 80 on, on Metacritic on PC. It got 88 on Switch and 98 on iOS. So they're loving it on the, uh, the touchscreen. How Long To Beat has this game at 24 hours for the story, 44 hours for extras and 54 hours for completionists. So there is a lot of gameplay here. Um, I think it's the kind of game that certain type of person will just play endlessly as well, like Slay the Spire, a game that I'll be referencing a fair few times in this review. Um, and the game is described like this. Become a giant walking dice and battle to the end of an ever-changing dungeon. In this fast-paced, deck-building roguelike, you'll fight monsters, find better loot, level up your heroes, and maybe even take down the goddess of fortune, Lady Luck herself. And my take on this one is that it's a lean, roguelike deck builder with zero fat that rolls sixes on charm and humour. It's fresh, funny, and well-designed enough to be a genuine rival to slay the spire. Um, I've had a really good time with this game so far. Um, I've played a fair bit of it over the last few days. I've really gotten into it. Um, it's the kind of game that you can play short runs of. And it starts off when you are introduced to the game show of Dicey Dungeons by Lady Luck, this grand cartoony lady who will announce the the format of the competition, welcome the contestants. Um, she's really well drawn and nicely animated, speaks into a mic. Then it has this great music throughout, it has this jazzy chiptune soundtrack that just hypes up the atmosphere and gives you that game show atmosphere. It's a really interesting way to present this one. The, the concept and the way it's all woven together is so clean. Like I really admire what's been done here with the look of it, with the, for the game show format and the gameplay, the chance elements of dice and cards. Um, and that great music, it just it all hangs together very well. It feels very crisp in a way that I'm very impressed by. Um, and there are several contestants. You play as one on every run. You can choose who you want to play as. You start with the warrior, a little dice who's just got some swords and his personality is a little bit dim and he just wants to break out. And every, every contestant gets to choose their ultimate wish if they win. I think the warrior just chooses a monster truck and Lady Luck just looks side-eyes him. Um, and says, okay, sure, monster truck. Um, and then later you'll get a thief, you'll get an inventor. They all have different gameplay mechanics. Um, so each one is significantly different to play as. A little bit like Slay the Spire again. Um, it's got those different characters with different play styles. It's like a very cartoony uh, version of that game in a way, but 
it, it does play differently, significantly differently. So it's not like a clone or anything like that, but it's in the same ballpark as Slay the Spire. And if you like that game, I think you will like this one. Uh, once you've picked your character, you embark on a run. These entail battling your way through various floors, um, taking on rounds of turn-based combat when you use dice and cards, um, weapons that change every time. There's a roguelike element to it, so you'll rarely be picking up the same set of weapons and they all have different synergies and things like that. So it's always different. It's really fun. If you die, you end up uh, back at the start, but it's a different playthrough with different weapons and different layout and that kind of thing. Um, and you battle your way up through those three floors. You level up your health. You find new weapons in chests. You can power up those weapons. You get very varied builds. Um, they all have different advantages and some combinations of weapons kind of pose different problems. And the abilities of enemies pose problems to you as well. Um, so there's a little bit of problem solving in figuring out your playstyle and figuring out which weapons work best in what circumstances and that kind of thing. Um, the combat is a really clever mixture of rolling dice and then spending them on your cards um, to cause damage and heal and that kind of thing, its status effects. And I'll delve deeper into that in a bit. So you fight through three floors and then you get to a boss. If you lose, it's game over. If you win, Lady Luck will congratulate you. She'll spin the Wheel of Fortune to determine your prize. Um, but let's just say the house always wins. Um, but something else will unlock um, on successful runs. So you'll get different challenges that you can play and that kind of thing. Um, as far as I know, the characters don't literally power up over time. So I think... but. So the progress doesn't carry over in that way. It's not like a Hades kind of game where you're powering up Zagreus and going in stronger. As far as I know, the five starter characters pretty much stay how they are. Um, and what, what unlocks is instead... Uh, challenge runs where maybe you've got like one specific different weapon only for that run. Maybe you've got half health. Maybe um, all the all the monsters turn into something weird. That kind of thing. So they're challenge runs that open up just to give you different flavors, different different challenges, more reasons to run the maps again and again and again. And um, the maps are actually quite different as well. So sometimes it'll be like an Iceland. Sometimes it's a forest. Sometimes it's a castle. That kind of thing. Um, and each run means navigating the dungeon map. Um, this means that you see a series of squares. Some of them have encounters on them for combat. Some of them have pickups, for example, health apples to recharge your health, chests with new weapon cards in them. Um, often these are hidden behind a combat encounter, so there's some risk and reward in whether you decide to take on combat or not. Um, there are shop carts where you can buy things, you get gold at the end of each combat round. There's a blacksmith who will upgrade your weapon cards, and there is an exit to the next level. Um, and if you get to the exit, up you go, and you start a new floor. After a three floors, you get that boss fight. So it's all very easy breezy. It's fun to play. It's easy to pick up. I feel like the tutorialization is on point. It's A+. I felt like I understood all of the mechanics almost instantly. Um, and within my first few runs, I feel like I had really gotten a handle on all of the different interlocking mechanics that I was seeing. And the game did an incredible job of introducing them. And I would say that the atmosphere of this game, the, the lively atmosphere of it, the music, the visuals, the great gameplay, short runs, um, it all just locked together incredibly well. It's got a really good vibe, a really strong vibe. Um, and, and I was into this game, addicted to it, within, I would say, minutes. It's just a fantastic time.
And I do think that talking about um, deck builders, is, it's one of the more difficult genres to describe in a podcast because it's a lot about rules. Um, and that's not necessarily, uh, it, can, it can sound a little dry, but I'm going to try and rattle through some of the mechanics that make this game interesting um, at, at not too much length, but just to try and give you an idea of, of what kind of game it is. Um, I would say that health management is key in this game, a little bit like Slay the Spire. If you've played that one, you'll take to this one like a duck to water. I think this is a simpler version of Slay the Spire, um, but just as interesting. And this means that you lose health in battle and you have to try and keep your health at a reasonable level. So going into new encounters, you'll be able to survive them basically. So you find apples on the overmap that will um, give you back I think seven or eight different health points. Um, there are heal mechanics that you can use in battle. When you find cards, sometimes one of them will be a heal, so it's good to have a, a, a heal ability somewhere in your arsenal. Um, you will also level up and that gives you more health, uh, more maximum health, and it also gives you a free health refill, which is actually pretty key. Um, so that's another enticement to try and scrape through battles and to to get more XP, because if you do actually go up a level, you'll get a free health refill, and that can be the difference between life and death on a run. It reminded me a little bit of playing Yakuza Like a Dragon, like a very different kind of game, turn-based though, because sometimes if you if you know that one of your characters is about to level up and get his health back, you, you can save some useful items and that kind of thing. So there's a little bit of brink, brinkmanship, basically, in how you manage your health. But let's talk a little bit about that combat. So the, the combat is a mixture of dice and cards. Um, you have a couple of default actions, and the actions are cards or weapons. That the, Those three all mean the same thing in this game. Um, so let's say you've got a sword card. Um, you, you'll roll a couple of dice, and you can spend those dice on the different cards that you have. If you only start with a sword and you've got like a six and a three, if you spend the six on the sword, you'll do damage for six, basically. So you roll a handful of dice and then you assign the different dice to whatever card you would like to use it with, whether that's a weapon, whether that's a heal, that kind of thing. Um, before, before a battle, you can choose which cards are in your active inventory. You have a little space to organize them. It's a little bit like the, the Resident Evil 4 suitcase. Um, some weapons take up a double space, some take up a half space, and then you have like um, a backpack where you can put all of the other weapons that you've got. So you can organize the weapons that you find into um, a way that you like, and the ones that are in your active inventory will be the ones that you can actually use in combat. So if a sword takes up two spaces, a hammer might take up two spaces, but a re-roll dice card might take up a half space, and a heal might take a half space. So you'll know that you can re-roll a bad roll, um, you can heal if you're in trouble, and then you've got a hammer and a sword to actually deal the damage. And that's pretty much the the basic solid setup that you get with the warrior, who's the first character that you get access to. But it becomes apparent pretty pretty much straight away that there, there's a lot of strategy to this. For example, a simple version of that might be that if you have a card that will raise the roll of one dice by one point, let's say that means that you've rolled a five, but you up it to a six, and then you know that if you spend a six on the hammer, you'll get plus four extra damage if it's a six, rather than just if you if you play a five on that hammer, you'll get five damage. But if it's a six, you get bonus damage or a status effect or something like that. So you can adjust the dice that you have sometimes and try and uh, maximize, get the most out of those dice to create the most damage and make sure that you stay alive. 
There is also a Limit Breaker, which is a special ability that each character has. You can use it every now and then when the gauge is full, and this will give you a special boost, for example. Um, one of them, I think, is just uh, to hit for 10. Um, one of them is to add an extra three dice to your roll, so you'll suddenly have all of these dice to use again and again and again. Um, some cards are one use only. Some cards can be reused. For example, maybe there's a dagger that hits for three, but if you happen to have six dice, you can spend all of them on there, and so you'll do 18 damage um, just from that reusing that dagger, but maybe your hammer can only be used once, and so you really want to use a six with it to get the most out of it. Um, different weapons also have status effects, for example, freeze, which will turn um, your enemy's dice into a one. Uh, poison, which is build-up, so if you do three poison damage, then they'll take passive damage for three, the next turn they'll take passive damage for two, the next turn they'll take passive damage for one. Um, there is also burn, which sets fire to dice, and that means that um, if you want to use that dice, or if your opponent wants to use a burning dice, um, they'll have to take two damage to hold it, because it's uh, burning. There is shock, which locks cards, and you have to waste a dice unlocking it again in that turn, and so it gets really strategic. Um, all of those status effects go both ways, so you can deal them, but you also have to deal with them incoming. And the different characters have whole different mechanics. For example, the warrior, he, he's, he's kind of basic and easy to understand. He's like your training wheels character. But the next character you'll get will be the thief. And the thief will steal an ability from your opponent each time you take a turn. Um, and so that means that you'll be getting a different weapon to spend your dice on every single turn as the thief. And then there's the robot who doesn't really roll dice, but instead has a kind of a gambling gauge where you hit a shoulder button and you do it once, you get a five, you do it again, you get a four, and you can see this gauge getting closer to the top. And if you go bust, you'll get nothing. Um, so you can kind of gamble um, to get as many dice as you feel like you can get away with. And it completely changes the, the game. It's a really fun mechanic and all of the different characters really do completely change how you play and they all have completely different uh, weapon kits and that kind of thing. So it, it really is quite a varied game and quite exciting. Um, it feels like it's always changing, it's always teaching you something new um, and that's something that I really like in a game like this. It just keeps evolving constantly and giving you new things to think about in a really cool way. And some of the, the card synergies that come up are really interesting. I think I'm just going to run through one of them because there are so many. There is just so much going on in the game, so many things to learn. Um, but one of the characters you get is a witch. Um, and I came up with this crazy setup for her. I'm just going to talk through it as one example of the kind of wild stuff that can happen here. Um, the witch has a different mechanic again. So she has a spell book. And you have to unlock the pages of the spell book with a dice. And then it comes into your active area and then you can um, use dice to actually cast those spells. Um, and I came across this crazy setup where I got one very powerful weapon that took a pair of sixes to unlock before you could even use it, and then another six to use it. So it would be very unlikely that you would get three sixes um, and be able to spend them all and, and you know not die from taking damage and not dealing any damage. It's, it's quite lengthy to actually get this thing up and running. But then there's another function where you had to roll two fives to open it that would make your next action count twice if you spent a five on that once you'd activated it. Um, there's a cauldron that re-rolls a dice once. Um, 
And then there is another function that will, if you roll a four, that will allow you to plug in a dice and get two of it in your next turn. So I ended up with this this uh, plug-in function, plugging a six in there, knowing that I would get two sixes on my next go, and that would be enough to unlock the powerful weapon. Um, I then was able to get a five and to duplicate the fives so that I knew that I'd be able to play that powerful weapon t twice and then just keep churning out sixes and hitting with that powerful weapon. Um, and it was, it was like trying to thread the needle in every single battle because this was my main way to deal damage and it was taking all of my dice to do it. Um, but it felt a lot like gambling, a lot like risk and reward, and it was quite a complex little system that had just kind of come up throughout play, because all of those different weapons that you get from chests and so forth are randomized, so there's nothing to say that I'll ever get that exact collection of three different abilities, the ability to generate fives and sixes, and then weapons to use those with, and to hit twice with them, like again, like it was just like a really funny confluence of pickups that led to me developing this technique to get through that run. Um, and things often get subverted as well. So when you think you've got a system up and running, maybe the next challenge will just completely pull the, the rug out from under your feet. For example, in one of the Warriors um, episodes, one of the challenge runs that you get, that you unlock for the Warrior, um, you lose max health when you level up, which is the opposite of what you're usually doing. Usually you're trying to level up so you get more max health. Um, and that changes your whole approach to the game. So you're trying to avoid as much combat as possible. Whereas usually you're taking on as much combat as possible to try and level up and become more powerful and get more health and that kind of thing. So the game really does tug you around in a really interesting way. It's like uh, subverting your expectations, introducing new mechanics all of the time. Um, the enemies are really funny and they'll sometimes talk to you after you've beaten them. Um, for example, there is a clown that you'll meet again and again and again who will just joke around with you that you're never going to get out. Um, there is like uh, a sneezing hedgehog who you'll battle with. Um, and he says at the end of the fight, like, I didn't always use to sneeze. It's just because I've been stuck in this dungeon for so long. So you get these really sympathetic and funny characters that you're battling with. Um, and it just really keeps the whole thing ticking along. It's an entertainment show format. And it is a super entertaining game. So I'm just going to finish off by running through a few of the, the highs and lows of this game. There aren't that many lows. Um, it's honestly a very, very good game. I'm so incredibly impressed with it. Um, it's so easy to play and easy to enjoy. The tutorialization is excellent. It's so crisp and minimal. There is no fat on this game whatsoever. Um, everything is where it needs to be. Everything has a reason. Um, the way that the, the story, the design, the aesthetic, the music, and the gameplay all click together is just so intensely on point. It's right up there with uh, the, the greats of this genre, like Slay the Spire and other really good games like Griftlands and Iris and the Giant, those kind of games. If you like uh, deck-based games, if you like dicey games, then this is really just a very top-tier example of that. Um, the game show atmosphere is wonderful, aided by the music and the bright visuals. Um, it's got this great entertainment show feeling that just keeps the whole thing rolling. It's delightful, really. I spent a lot of time smiling playing this one. Um, the vibe is really strong. Um, I really like the variety between the runs. Um, I like the complementary builds that evolve into strategies just for that run. And every run, it feels like you're coming up with a semi-new strategy based on whatever cards you happen to get. Um, the game encourages you to try 
try different characters. You have to to progress. So you really have to get into all of the different characters. You can't just pick a favorite and settle on it forever, which is an option in Slay the Spire. In this game, you really have to use all five characters and you have to learn their ins and outs um, and play challenge runs with strange circumstances. It just really keeps you on your toes. Um, and it has a very cool way of just actively making sure that you explore all of the mechanics, um, which is really helpful. Slay the Spire doesn't do that that well. I felt like I was often stumbling into them, or I was very easily able to ignore potentially useful strategies and cards. Whereas this game really does push you into trying them all in a really cool way. Um, it's pretty strategic. There's lots of depth here, even though it's so simple and easy to pick up. Um, it subverts your expectations. It turns things on their head. Um, the house always wins vibe is just really funny and sinister alongside of it all. Um, and it's just a very clever game. This is a really well-designed, clean, clever game. Um, it didn't crash. There was nothing wrong with it at all. It ran perfectly on the Switch. Um, just A-plus from me. Um, as for the downsides, um, I would say that um, there is a problem with the, the deck-building roguelike genre in that you can sometimes feel like the RNG has killed you. Um, like, you'll sometimes find yourself playing what could be considered... A perfect game, but because you didn't roll the dice that you needed at the right time, or because um, the enemy kind of came at you with stuff that you weren't equipped to defend against uh, for one reason or another, then it can feel like you were doomed in a run, um, like mathematically doomed, but that just seems to be a hazard of the deck-building roguelike genre. Um, it is like a game of chance. Um, if there are dice and there are cards, there is always a chance that you're just going to lose and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's math, you know. Um, so there is that element to it. Um, I would say that um, where I am now, about five hours in, um, the overall progression um, doesn't feel quite as clear as I would like. Um, I've unlocked five characters um, and they all have different episodes, which means that you do challenge runs where they have um, different buffs or nerfs, they have different weapons, the enemies do weird stuff like these challenge runs where there's something different. Um, but I'm not quite sure where it goes yet, if you know what I mean. Like, I'm still playing through them and having fun, but I wish that I knew a little more about where I was heading in the game. It seems that the uh, the contestants are all somewhat on this, um, this like, mouse wheel of just doing runs, and they're kind of stuck there. And I'm, I guess that that story is probably going to develop. Um, but I would like a, a little more of a roadmap. Um, I guess most of the fun in this game is in the gameplay and in the runs, um, but the narrative that surrounds it, I would like it if it was just a touch more clear where I was going. Maybe a little more story content would be cool. Um, other than that, I would say this game is close to perfection, honestly. Um, it's just clean. It's great. Um, I'm going to be playing it a lot. Um, I think I'm going to be picking it up and doing little runs now and then for a long while, like I was with Slay the Spire. Really glad to have discovered this game. It's it's a real keeper, um, and I hope that if you like the sound of it, that you give it a try. Um, that's Dicey Dungeons. So that's our episode. Hope you enjoyed it. It was really fun to talk about Dicey Dungeons. It was really funny, funny, fun to talk about Midnight Fight Express. Um, if you've enjoyed this show, please do um, rate the show on Spotify. Please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to support the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. And I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter as gaming in the wild. And I love to hear from listeners and I love to get uh, different opinions about different games. I actually discovered this game through 
um, a Twitter friend and patron of the show and friend of the show. Uh, so thanks again to Jake from the Pre-Order Podcast for um, flagging this one up to me. Um, if you've got games that you would like to hear about on Gaming in the Wild, um, please do get in touch. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, mostly Twitter, but I'm Gaming in the Wild. I also stream sometimes on Twitch, so you can find me at Twitch TV um, as Gaming in the Wild as well. Um, thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. I'll be back with a new episode next week, and bye-bye for now.